Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Light the Fight podcast. We have not changed the name in one episode. <laughs> Heidi, let's just give ourselves a round of applause. Just you know what? Yeah. Great job, great job, team. We stuck with the name. And uh, if you listen to the last episode, we made a little crack, a little joke because we recorded like four or five episodes. Heidi's like, uh, "You're gonna kill me," but I think we need to change the episode. I change the name I, of the podcast. I don't know why you have to admit this. I, I feel like this that was private podcast information. Oh, that wasn't part of the confidentiality agreement. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it was all good. Honestly, I like this name better. So uh, we went from Parent Trap Podcast to Light the Fight Podcast. And here we are, second installment. It's a lot more aggressive, a lot more serious. Yeah. Yeah, That's good. Anyway. Thanks for joining us again. uh, And we made a little bit of a a joke at high. Well, I made a little bit of a joke at high's expense at the end of last episode that today we're going to be talking about something that. Heidi has an MD, a PhD, um, multiple uh, doctorates from many universities of life about this subject, uh, but we're going to be calling this one. So um, you are going to be able, not now because we're in the process of building it, but you are going to be able to um, get our downloaded or hard copy of the 50 ep- our first 50 episodes, which are basically topics that throughout the past two and a half years that... Heidi and I have been talking in a meeting. These are the topics that really stood out to Heidi that she learned the most from. And the things that just kind of seem to come up in conversation with friends, uh, people that come to you and share with you their struggles. These are just the common ones that come up. So we decided to do um, uh, a booklet, basically, to talk more in depth about each one of these episodes. Because our conversation is just that. We're just talking. Well, and I would find, like, when I would come in and talk to David, we would talk about so many different things and he would throw things out and I wasn't taking notes and I wasn't recording our conversation and I would drive home and I would be like trying to remember all the little pieces. And, um, so that's what I'm hoping with the, with this workbook is that you'll, first of all, as you hear something that sticks out to you, or that you want to think about some more, you jot it down. If you hear a phrase that David, David like throws out these phrases, and I don't even know if he totally knows he does it, but um, I'll be like, did you like TM that? Or <laughs> anyway, he, he says these things that are, that are almost um, like, I, I don't know what you would even, what you even call it. You'll, I'll, I'll cue you. I'll let you know when he does it. <laughs> Um, but I, but I wanted to remember them. I call them nuggets, little nuggets. And, uh, so you'll be able to write that down. We're also going to be able to prompt you on some of the things that we're talking about so that you will watch for it, remember it and learn. Because like I said, I think that therapy, going to a therapist has got a really bad rap. Like there's something wrong with you when really it's just 
personal training for a relationship. It, it's learning. Yeah. That's what. That's what it is, and that's what I'm. Unless hoping. you have a really bad therapist, then it could just <laughs> be happen. like. Then it could just be a bad experience. That could so. happen. <laughs> but no, um, Heidi, you, you hit it right on the head, and so um, in talking about our first of fifty episodes, um, we chose guilt versus shame. Um, so why, why don't you cue this up for, for everybody, for the listeners, and kind of let them know um, our first topic about this, kind of the story behind it, and then uh, we'll take it from there. Well, first of all, I was shocked that I didn't know this already. As a 40-something-year-old mother of however many kids, like, I did not know the difference between guilt and shame. So, um, so he, here's the situation. Corey had had just barely passed away and I was really trying to figure out how I was going to function. Um, and I was in communication with David and he suggested that we meet another person that he had, he's counseled and worked with that had, um, struggling, a son that struggled and, he invited us to actually come to a pizza place and we brought our kids and I, I think the intention was kind of just, um, a support, a support system, um, being able to talk to somebody that would understand or, or could relate to these really extreme feelings that both me and my husband were trying to figure out. Um, and we chatted a little bit and then, and then this gentleman brought up the concept of that there was a difference between guilt and shame. And I had never heard this before. I thought that guilt and shame were synonyms, right? You do something wrong, you feel guilty, and you feel shame. You're ashamed of, of something that you did. And, and it's that Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder. It's the, the, conscien the, the conscience is getting you to, to write to, to, to confess or to fix it or whatever, you know, like yeah. just, I just didn't understand, um, the difference. And so this was when, when it came up in this conversation and I actually did have a notebook and I pulled it out and I started taking notes because it, I, I knew it wasn't going to stick in my brain at that point. But I, I knew at that moment that, Understanding this distinction was something that Corey would have benefited from understanding, that all of my kids needed to understand the difference, that I as a grown woman needed to understand the difference, and, and my husband as well. And so that's why I wanted to start out with this. This is the basis of, this is a super basic principle in, um, in understanding your feelings, for sure. And so I'm going to let you now explain what you explained to me that day. Well, yeah, I remember when I said that to you, or actually when uh, the gentleman had said it, and I was kind of nodding my head, and you kind of like you're like you like perked up, and your husband and you looked at each other like, wait, 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 what was that again? And like, and he started talking about it. And he goes, well, I'll let Dave explain it because he can explain it better. And I'd already been working with him and his son. His son had recently had a suicide attempt, and um, and I'd been working with them with for a couple years already. And so I, I just explained to you like this. And um, first off, and I, I feel the need I have to state this because I don't want people to think that I'm stealing anyone's information. But um, 
most people were introduced, this average regular people introduced to this concept through Brene Brown. And Brene Brown has, I believe, like the number one TED Talk on YouTube. Um, and she did all this research on um, uh, about you know, why people were struggling with depression and all these different things. And, and she found out through her research, I'm being really short about this, but she found out through her research that you know, it tied back to mo mostly people having shame. And shame makes them feel worthless, insecure, and all these things. And that being vulnerable, so not vulnerable in the sense of like being like feeling sorry for yourself, vulnerable, not like a victim vulnerable, um, but being vulnerable and talking about things that you're, that you're ashamed of, things that you feel bad about, actually is the kryptonite to shame. Like you have to actually say the things you're most ashamed of. And a long time, way before Brene Brown came out with this, I think she came out in like 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. But years ago, when I was working in drug and alcohol treatment, um, we had talked about this a lot. And this is the way that I explain it to people because it's really easy to remember. Shame is I am and guilt is I did. So what happens is when we make a mistake, it's natural to feel guilty. It's like the example I always use is, Let's say your friend on your birthday remembered your birthday, took you out, bought you a present, made you feel special. On their birthday, you didn't even send them a Facebook happy birthday. <laughs> and they're sitting there going, wow, I went through all my way to make this person feel great and they didn't do anything for me. If you were to find out that you forgot your friend's birthday, knowing that they did all the stuff for you, you'd feel so guilty. You'd be like, oh my gosh. But that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Guilt is the, like, it's one of the, mo the best motivators in the world. When we make a mistake, when we falter, feeling guilty can be a great way to do something about it. So it motivates us. You made a mistake, now make up for it. So in that example with, with a friend and, you know, like, you know, if you forgot their birthday, if you remembered later on or they told you that they were hurt by that, what would you do? You'd take them out to lunch, you'd dinner, like, you would make sure that you did something really special to let them know that you were trying to make up for your mistake. So... Guilt is I am. I mean, shame is I am. Guilt is I did. So when I explained that to you guys, I remember it was, it was very interesting for you guys to, to hear that because it was new. And also it made a lot of sense. As you're saying, it's like, wait, honestly, this makes a lot of sense. Because how this starts to get complicated for people is most people are going to have things they feel guilty for all the time. But when we get in real big trouble is when we actually start to take the things that we made a mistake on, something we should just normally feel guilty for, and we start to use that as information to validate that we're not good enough. So if shame is all the things that we feel that we're less than, not good enough, you know, all of our insecurities, then when we feel ashamed, we're naturally gonna start looking for mistakes that we've made to validate that shame. And shame, you know, it's just one of those things where it, it, it really is at its full power and full potential and full strength when it's at its greatest secret. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have heard the saying, you know, you know, families are, or I, maybe I just added the families part, but people are only as sick as their secrets. Well, family is only as sick as their secrets. I've been counseling families for years that held horrifying secrets. And then when they talk about it, the fear was that if we talk about it, it's going to devastate us. But the reality of it is when you talk about it, it liberates us. It frees you. Now you have options when you're talking about the things you're most ashamed of. 
And when you guys had first heard that, and I don't know exactly what was going on in your minds at that time, I just remember that it was like that aha moment because to see the difference, to see like if we're in a good place and we're working hard to take accountability for our life, sh- guilt can be a really good motivator. If we're in a bad place and struggling just to survive like the loss of your son and how could this have possibly happened to us? If we're not careful, m- simple mistakes, we could categorize that as serious validation to prove that we're worthless and we shouldn't even get up and try the next day. Right. Well, and, and here, here was where the light bulb came on for me. I would hear my kids say things like, I am so stupid. I suck. I'm terrible. You know, you're right. I'm, I'm bad at that. Or I, I'll never, no, it it was, it was more just that I'm dumb. I'm stupid. I'm worthless. And labeling themselves with a definitive statement. Yes. As if it wasn't, it couldn't be changed. And so like, like, let me just give the example, Corey, for example, because that's, that's who I heard it from probably because we were in these counseling sessions. Um, Corey really struggled with school and, um, we noticed it in ninth grade. He started ninth grade out in, um, a new school as a freshman, but it was part of high school. And immediately he was struggling with his grades. In fact, like there was a very obvious, massive decline in his grades and I was not tolerating it. And he immediately was, it wasn't like, well, I, I did bad on that math or I don't understand that math. It was, I am stupid. Or I'm having trouble with finishing my homework or turning my homework in. I am an idiot. And at that moment that you said that, I could so clearly see that Corey believed that he was stupid, that he was dumb, that that was who he was. And that he didn't separate it from the fact that maybe he just didn't learn that way or didn't turn in his homework or, or whatever all the, all the other things might have been. And that's right exactly where I want everybody who has a parent, who is a parent. And when you hear that come out of your kid's mouth, because you will, because they'll say that, they'll talk like that. Maybe even your husband, maybe even your sister or your friend. Or you. Or yourself, <laughs> right? Or even if you were quiet enough to think about the self-talk that's coming into your head, which is, you know what, you suck, you're stupid, that was, you're a bad mom, you're a lousy person, Wh- whatever. Those, those messages, when you hear those messages, you have to separate it immediately because you're not stupid because you don't understand math. You don't understand math because you don't understand math. <laughs> it, it doesn't make you a stupid person, right? And so, Or if you're like me, math reminds you of girls. <laughs> Always putting you in the friend zone. I was, I was lucky to get a C. 
I was lucky to see every time I study hard for a test and I still wouldn't get a good grade on it. It was like, I was like having a crush on this girl and you know, I was asking her to a dance and she still said no. It's like, dang it. No matter what I did, as I said, math was always putting me in the friend zone. So anyways, you may proceed. Anyway, I, once I learned that distinction, I started hearing it in a lot of conversations in phrases in, in things that my kids were saying about themselves. Very rarely were they saying, I am awesome. I am fabulous. I am smart. I am beautiful. They don't say that stuff, but they are those things. And I started learning that I needed to say things like, you are beautiful. You are awesome. So that Somehow, something was counteracting those messages that were their own shame inside them, telling them that, or maybe external messages. Um, I was so thankful for learning that, wished that I had understood it earlier, um, because you can stop somebody right in their tracks and say, no. You're not stupid and you're not an idiot and you're not worthless. You are these other things. You know, and, and what you just said right there, um, I would say that's uh, the, the baseline of how to help someone w- when they're in a place where I call it the shame game. So when we're, everyone plays the shame game, we got wins, we got losses. There's some days where I remember this one client of mine, I'm like, so what was your highs and your lows for the past week? She's like, well, let's put it this way. Played the shame game a lot, and I lost every time. She's like, yeah, <laughs> pink pajama sweats, big oversized chocolate, Costco cake, and me all week long, baby. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah, that was definitely a Nobody big L. Nobody is going to win at that. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a loss in the shame game category. And so everybody plays the game, but everybody's trying to figure out how to win the game. How do we get liked by other people? How do we progress with our kids, our family, our work, whatever means anything to us? How do we do that for other people? And how do we do it for ourselves? Like, how do we win the shame game for ourselves? And how do we help our loved ones have some wins in that category? So the basis of it is to acknowledge that that's not who they are and to tell them what you feel about them. The problem is, is shame is very, very complex. It has many, many different shapes, sizes, uh, it comes in many different questions. It comes in different uh, ways. So, for example, I was always really good at being good at everything. Well, I was always I was always good at most things, but never great at anything. So, my biggest shame was, don't worry, keep on doing what you're doing, and you'll always just be decent at it. <laughs> but you'll never be great. Like the, the greatness are for people who are really great. You're not going to be good in any one thing, great in any one thing, but you can always be like, I, I could pretend that I was decent enough in anything that I tried. And then I'd quit it before people found out I really wasn't that good. When in reality, my shame was just that if people really knew that I was average, no one would ever want to be around me. So it gets complex. Sometimes when a certain part of our life, it could be like, hey, you're a horrible mother. And let's say you looked at one of your kids and they have a big nod on their head because they tripped and fell over something that you didn't put away. So you could think, yeah, my shame is pretty accurate now. I'm a horrible mother. And you can still not be a bad mother. Right. You can feel horrible at that moment, but you don't have to be a bad mother. 
So the second phrase or the second level to the whole entire helping someone else with their fighting their shame game or winning their shame game and you win yours, instead of saying things like you're beautiful, um, you know, you're smart and you're talented, kind of vibe it out and see how deep they are in their own shame. Because if they're really deep and they're really angry, not, not, nah, you do not, not you do not want to tell someone. Try get, try someone giving you a compliment how great your hair looks on a day that you hate your hair. You'll be like, right. mm, yeah, thanks. Like, you just can't accept it. Right. So instead, if someone's getting down on themselves, say, hey, I hate myself, stuff like that, you listen to them. And when they're done talking, don't interrupt them. But when they're done talking, say, man, I, I don't blame you for feeling that way. I get it. I, yeah, I, I'm not going to stop you from, if you feel horrible and you feel like you suck at this, I'm not going to tell you how great you are and how amazing you are and how great you can be. Cause obviously that's not going to help you right now. But here's what I can tell you is that you can feel like you're horrible. You can feel like you suck at this and you can just be having a day that you feel that way. And tomorrow you can kick butt then you can do better again. You can make a mistake and you can make up for it. Like I said earlier. You can be this way that you feel, and you can do so much more. Now, that's just one example of it. I, I've told people this throughout the years, but I figured this out a long time ago when I was talking to a, a teenage girl that was uh, very suicidal. Now, mind you, I'm working with suicidal teenagers in psych hospitals and crisis treatment centers on the daily. That's just basically all I'm doing for years. And this one girl, when I first started my private practice, she came into me and she said, and I'd been seeing her for a little bit. She told me all these things that she was struggling with. She had a breakdown. She was like, I just can't do this, David, anymore. I know you're probably going to get mad at me for saying this, but I, um, I, I decided that I'm going to take my life. I said, really? I said, well, gosh, thanks for coming in here and sharing this with me <laughs> you know, before, but you know, is it okay? You know, I just, I just want to tell you, it's like, could you please explain to me like what's going on that would make you feel that way? So she explained it. She's molested multiple times. She had these bad things happen to her. her parents gone through difficult struggles. She explained all these things to me. Her friend stabbed her in the back, all this stuff like that when she got done with it. And so she said, yeah. So I decided that um, I'm worthless. No point of being here. And so I'm going to take my life. I remember I sat there for a moment and I was, I was, I was miffed. Because she was pretty blunt. She was pretty honest. I knew I couldn't freak out at that moment. My, my training work with kids who are suicidal for many, many years had me sitting there saying, be careful of your facial expressions. Be careful of your breathing. Be careful of your body language. Don't look overly stressed. Just kind of look thankful that she told you, but that you really care. So I was projecting that through my body language. And then after it took a couple moments looking at the ground, looked around, I looked at her, I said, damn, so you basically were molested. This happened. And I just unpacked and said everything she just said. And because of all those things, people standing back, you now want to kill yourself. She's like, exactly. I said, dang, if I were you, I'd want to kill myself too. And she looked at me, her eyes got big. She said, yeah, right? Like, Right? Like, I'm not crazy, right? I go, no, you're not crazy, girl. And I remember at that moment, I was like, oh, I guess right. Because like, at this moment, and this is years ago, I'm sitting there going, this was a pivotal, this was a pivotal moment. I knew for some reason what she was telling me at that moment, I'd heard I was suicidal. I'd stop people. Something about what she was saying, it was just different. The way she was so honest, she was facing her shame. 
She was telling me at that moment, this is what I'm ashamed of. But because she trusted me, she came out of her shadows and the places she was living in and she said it. And I said, have you told anyone else this? She's like, no. I'm like, damn. I'm like, well, thanks for telling me this. And by the way, I don't want you to kill yourself. Just be clear about that. I say, but I don't blame you for feeling that way. So we had to talk about how she got this point. I mean, after 30 minutes, she was so much relieved. She's like, oh my gosh, like, thank you. Like, see, someone finally gets it. Someone finally understands. I looked there and said, oh, I totally get it. And at this time, I hadn't really talked about this a lot, but I shared with her that I had a suicide attempt years prior. She looked at me, she's like, you? How could you possibly? She realized that, oh, wait, I could be someone like you who's successful with helping people even though I've been feeling this way and even though I've been struggling. Like a light bulb came on her. She went from, I am horrible to maybe I'm going through a horrible situation. Maybe I'm depressed because I was abused. <laughs> maybe I don't want to live because my life has not been the life I, I would have chose for myself. After that conversation, we still met a lot, so a lot of work. But at that particular moment, I really focused on the power of one specific basic thing to help someone get over their shame and to come out of that. People have to know that having shame is not shameful. She didn't know that the things that she was most ashamed of was actually very realistic, honest, and totally relatable. She thought saying that out loud was social suicide. She said, if I told my friends this, or I told my parents this, blah, it changed my whole entire life. And then later on, we talked to her parents about it. They cried with her, and she's like, wow, that went a whole lot better than I thought it was going to go. She just didn't know that she didn't have to be ashamed for being ashamed, if that makes any sense at all. Right. It, it totally does. And so it, when, when we met in the pizza place, you told me, and obviously this was like shame 101. This was like the the very crust of of the whole thing, and I had a lot more to learn. Um, but what you told me there was kind of a life-changing moment, and you said the only way to take shame's power over you is by exposing it to light, is by saying it out loud, which is, which is just what you were, you're explaining with this young woman. And at that moment, I felt like the, the words in my head were, I am a terrible mother. Like what kind of a mother must I be to have my son want to die? And, and I was really struggling with that, that, how that that was my shame my shame was that i that i must be a horrible person and a horrible mom and um i knew at that point that i had a choice that i could either ad admit that shame admit that that i felt horrible that that my son did this and or that i could bury that and not talk about it and that was the moment. And I wrote down on my paper, light the fight. And I decided that I was going to talk about this. And that doesn't mean I had answers. I don't have that magical answer. I keep asking David what the magical <laughs> answer is. Um, but the, the magic in what you just, that experience the magic that happened in my life was that I decided not to hide 
that I felt like a horrible mother. Like it's a supernatural feeling. Like anybody would feel that if they're even you just have your kid punch the kid in the parking lot or in the playground and you feel like a horrible mother. Like you don't even have to. If your kid bites someone in preschool, like my kid, he gets kicked out of his little preschool for two weeks. He get three bites in a month. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm we're reading books. Parent, we're a right. terrible parent. What's going on? Come to find out it's pretty normal for that developmental stage for a three-year-old. I mean, it's not that hard no. to feel like a horrible yeah. parent when your kids don't do what you think or hope or wish that they or would expected. do. Right? And so um, and so that's, that's a key, I think a key thing for us to model for our kids, um, in our, every one of our relationships is being willing to be open about what is hard. Well, I'm glad you said model that for them because, you know, if you have a teenager in your life, um, they're not going to learn by you teaching them. Those days are over. If you think you're going to teach your kid anything. You mean a lecture style? Yeah. Like you either... In order to teach someone, you have to have someone in the classroom to teach. And they're not sitting there to listen to you teach them. <laughs> they're sitting there sure. until they get their allowance. Maybe until they get the car them. keys. Do you like Snapchat yeah, they're, they're, them? They're, they're just going through the system. <laughs> I know I got to listen to my mom. And then when she's done, then I get to go. Like, just they're just working the system, right? But you modeling it for them. And what we're talking about being open, we're talking about being vulnerable. That's That's the buzzword that's been going on. Again, that's been associated with Brene Brown. But I want to just share with everybody, um, vulnerability has been one of those things for a long time that a lot of people, they just, they just don't understand the way that the word is supposed to be used or the way that the word can be used to show strength. So people are trying to fight this. Not when I say people, a lot, it's a good thing. People are trying to fight the stigma behind mental health, but they're also trying to fight the stigma behind just the word vulnerability. Because a vulnerability truly is the kryptonite to shame. It just takes away its power. Then how, how do we be vulnerable? What is vulnerable? Because most people associate vulnerability with weakness. Because when you look at vulnerability in the dictionary, one of the definitions is you know, exposed, weak, right? Well, if you look a little bit further, the definition of it that I like to tell people I'm helping out with is that there's two types of vulnerability. The weak, exposed one, Think of that one as victim vulnerability. And then the vulnerability that, that actually purges shame and kicks the crap out of shame. I call that assertive vulnerability. Assertive means a bold expression of self. Vulnerability are sensitive, personal, you know, things to you. So you're, a, so you're boldly expressing your most sincere, genuine thoughts and feelings. When you make yourself vulnerable to another person in a very honest hey, I'm sorry, I apologize, or I made a mistake. Hopefully you can forgive me. Just putting yourself out there. I mean, you're allowing them to crucify you or to connect with you. You're telling them, my intention right now to be vulnerable with you is to build a bridge for us to have a better relationship or for at least me to honor you as a person, respect you, and just be honest with you and let you make the decision whether you want to accept me, whether you believe me or not. Because all human beings are looking for real people. We're not looking for hypocrites. Like, yeah, I, I need more hypocrites in my life. No, like <laughs> nobody's looking for someone to stab them in the back. We're looking for people to have our back. So when you're assertively vulnerable, like I always, I, I like this example of apologizing. That's one way to be vulnerable. If you're to tell someone, hey, I screwed up. I was a bad friend of you. 
to you. If you want to do it like a victim vulnerable apology, where you're doing it like in this weak way, you could say, hey, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, but you know, you've hurt my feelings before too. Right. Like, wait, it's like, wait, what? Like, if you've ever had this happen, it's a really weird experience when someone apologizes to you only to flip it on you and blame you for the reason why they had to apologize to you. You're like, wait a second, like, did you blame me? Like, you're the one who being rude to me. Now, an assertive vulnerability apology would sound like this. Listen, I don't blame you for being mad at me. If you don't want to forgive me, I get it. I hope you do forgive me, but I owed it to you to apologize to you face to face, let you know that was my mistake, my bad. And like I said, hopefully you can forgive me, but if you don't, I, I don't blame you. You're actually, when you're vulnerable, you're trusting that the other person can handle whatever it is. People don't like to not be trusted. Find me a person that says, now sometimes if it's extreme, most times people say, I'd rather know the truth than not know the truth. And let me decide how I want to proceed after that. When we're being vulnerable, here's what we're doing. We're telling people the truth. Not the truth that we wanted it to be, not what we're hoping would have happened. We're telling people in short, distinct little bites of, I am sorry, I did you wrong. That's an apology. Right. Telling someone, hey, I'm sorry, but you know, you've hurt me too. That's not an apology. That's an excuse. So assertive vulnerability, bold expression, most genuine thoughts, feelings, and you're putting it out there not to start a fight, not to be defensive, but it's a peace offering to break bread with someone hoping that they accept it. I'm telling you, the chances of people letting go of their anger and resentment towards you, respecting you, and coming around to being okay with you, even if you did something really bad, increases drastically when you're assertively vulnerable. When you're a victim vulnerable, then it decreases drastically because now you're just like everyone else. You're not holding yourself accountable. Parents out there listening, this, how big of a deal is when you're talking to your kids? Tell me the truth and hold yourself accountable. If your kids did those two things, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast, <laughs> right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't need to be listening. Maybe you'd be like sharing it with a friend, but you wouldn't need to listen to it, right? If you got billions of dollars by, by money financing or like, you know, by um, not money financing, sound ridiculous, like by the stock market, you wouldn't be like reading books on how to do the stock market. You know what I mean? So in assertive vulnerability, good. Victim vulnerability, that's the kind that we, we need to get rid of because it doesn't serve us anything. But assertive vulnerability also shows us the hands and the cards of people that we're working with. If you apologize to someone genuinely, honestly, and you're vulnerable, and they take advantage of that, because people tell me all the time, hey, I've tried to be vulnerable, people take advantage of me. I said, yeah, that can happen. However, is your desire to be vulnerable to get them solely to forgive you or to give them the choice if they want to forgive you or not? If you're giving someone a choice, people are going to like that. If you're going to try to guilt trip them and try to bait them into getting you to getting them to like you again, that's the victim vulnerability. So assertive vulnerability, it's from my experience, people respect that. And I've had, even with my own wife, she's mad at me and or no, I'm mad at her because, you know, she, I thought she was, you know, I got mommy issues. That's a whole nother issue for me and my therapist. <laughs> and she'll be mad at me and I get all butthurt and I get all personal about it. And then a day later, because, you know, it's actually not even a day later now, the next morning, a couple hours later, she'll come up to me, babe, I'm sorry, I had a long day. And, and in my mind, I had all these conversations. Well, I'm going to be mean to her and I'm not going to sleep in the bedroom. I'm going to go upstairs. And as soon as she comes and apologizes to me, I'm like, Dang it, woman, you're robbing me of my anger towards you. <laughs> I'd already planned in my head that I'm going to get my own dog and I'm going to move to the beach and like all these things are all extreme. And then as soon as she says, babe, I'm sorry, I shouldn't talk to you like that. I can't hold on to it. 
Who wants to be mad at their teenager? Yeah, nobody. Nobody. No parents ever said that. Who said, yeah, I want to get married to someone so I can fight like my parents did and so we can always be on the edge of divorce? Yeah, nobody no. does that. So when we're assertively vulnerable, it allows the people around us to get the best of us. Accountable and honest. Yeah, and that's, it takes practice, right? Yeah, I mean, again, if, if this came natural, I'd be out of a job. We wouldn't be needing to do this podcast, right? <laughs> well, it'd be a five sentence workbook instead of a 50 episode workbook, right? So, um, this leads us in a good spot for us to kind of set us up for our next episode. We're going to talk a little bit more, and I'm going to share another experience that I had when I had to deal with more of my shame and um, figure out how to get myself out of it. So, remember all those things that you just learned now. Um, and David, you even have said some things that I had never heard before. So I'm like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta write this down. <laughs> like, where's my notebook? <laughs> well, stuff comes out of my mouth. When you talk about the same thing since 1999, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I've forgotten more of the things that I can remember, but maybe this podcast will help but me. But this is the best part about the podcast yeah. is that we get David rolling and he just dishes up the nuggets and we all just learn it's awesome and soon enough we'll be doing this video as soon as we get a good place like that actually looks better than just my office <laughs> and when we do video you'll get to make fun of me um i definitely have like the italian hand gestures even though i'm not italian like, ah, i'm like i'm like bumping in the <laughs> microphone i'm all animated so uh hopefully you'll laugh with me instead of at me so <laughs> <laughs> well thanks you guys thanks for being here um podcast number two we made it through we didn't change the name nope and um and I really love all this stuff that you have shared because, I mean, now you know how I felt when I would drive away from my sessions with just like my mind just swimming, um, trying to grasp this stuff. And um, so I hope you'll take some time to really kind of think about the things that we shared and how that they can actually apply to you that you can take responsibility for them and allow it to change the way that you interact with other people in, in your lives. You heard it from Mrs. Heidi Swap herself. <laughs> that's right. Over right there. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing. Every episode, you're going you're gonna to send this out with, the, with, with like little, little nuggets of your own because do not underestimate the nuggets of a mom who's been there, done that. Um, unfortunately, you've had horrible experiences, but fortunately you've had some great ones too. You know, you got great kids, you got a great family. And just to, not that I feel that I have to protect you because this has been the case for every family that I've ever counseled that has lost a kid to suicide. They come into me and I've never counseled a family that would be qualified as a messed up bad family. They might be out there, but I've never counseled one that have lost their child to suicide that wasn't a family that I wouldn't trust that wasn't a family that I didn't relate to and connect with. So I just wanted to say to everyone out there, but also now that we're sitting here and I'm talking directly across <laughs> the table from you that, um, I know Heidi Swap's not a bad mom. Wow. I appreciate that. I really try. See, there you go. See, that was, that's what it looks like when someone's trying to face or sounds like when someone's trying to face their shame. <laughs> <laughs>
You notice how she's like, that was like me giving her a, a compliment of her hair. When she hated her hair, she's like, thank you very much for that compliment. <laughs> See, I can't think. This is what happens, you guys, when you're doing this with, with, with like a therapist. Then you know, they just call you right on the carpet. But no, thank you, and I and I meant every word that I just said. Well, come back, you guys, next time, um, because we we're gonna talk a little bit even more into in that the Heidi Swap shame game. Yeah. Well, the good thing about shame is after you face it and you're feeling better about yourself, then you get what comes after that. It's called a vulnerability hangover. <laughs> because even when you do all the right things, you're still exhausted from doing all the right things because you got to face all your own hurt and pain. So that'll be phase two or episode two. Well, we're excited. We're excited. <laughs> all my favorite topics. <laughs> all right, you guys. Have a good one. Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast.